Justin, we are we are cooking with gas. We are 26 minutes into this podcast, and I absolutely am so excited for you to explain to people what happened to you and your new project, Bubble okay. Inc. I'm gonna I'm gonna the big reveal is coming, guys. This is gonna be amazing. You're gonna really enjoy this. Okay. Are you ready to turbocharge your financial IQ? Hey friends, my name is Murray Miller, and I want to welcome you and your family to the Family Business Podcast, where every episode is designed to keep you focused and on track to live a life free of financial stress, worry, and fear. Would you like to know the exact powerful money strategies that not only our immediate family has implemented, but also our extended family of thousands and thousands of people around the world? Well, then let's get on with it and let's begin building a financial wall around your family. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I am excited to be back. And I have a very, very special episode for you today with a guest speaker that I have been just absolutely chomping at the bit to get on this podcast. And you are going to get really excited. I am going to be introducing Justin Miller, part of the Family Business and the Family Business Podcast, his first debut episode with us here. And guess what we're going to be talking about? Yes, you guessed it residual income because that's what we're all about but I learned something from Justin that I did not know and uh, as you saw in the podcast title we are going to be talking today about the blockchain cryptocurrency and in particular NFTs Justin has some experience at this and if you don't know Justin is a junior at Chapman University in Orange, California. He is a business major. He's looking very good right now. He's been working out, I think, six or seven days a week. He is visiting here with uh, his mom and me in Arizona right now, and uh, we're just excited that you're here for the weekend. Welcome to the podcast, Justin Miller. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Glad to be here. Good to have you. Good to have you. So let's just dive right in. I mean, what is cryptocurrency, blockchain, NFT? And I this is this is what blows my mind is I had no idea that you could literally create residual income using these NFTs. So guys, bear with me. If you don't know what an NFT is or the blockchain or cryptocurrency or any of that stuff, or if you know a little bit and you want to learn more, it's right here, right now. This kid is so knowledgeable on this stuff. He's been filling up my brain this weekend with all this information, and he's got a great story for you about what he did himself personally. But let's just get started at the beginning, Justin. What is an NFT, and how does that work? So I think we actually have to go back a little bit farther. Let's not start with NFT. Let's just start with Web3. So I'm no expert, you know, I'm no professional in Web3. But I have dedicated a lot of my time to learning online and understanding, reading articles, following influencers that know a lot and spend a lot of their time learning about it too. I don't think we're at the point even where there are professionals on Web3 because it's so new. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're getting there. Now, Web3 is kind of the idea that we're bringing in blockchain, right? So Web2 was Instagram, Facebook. Um, LinkedIn. That okay. was all Web 2. Okay. And we use those, you know, have you ever had, um, let's say, a website ask you to sign in using Google or ask you to sign in using Facebook? Sure. So it's kind of like, that's what these um, crypto wallets are. And we'll get to crypto wallets a little bit later. Okay. It, essentially, Web 3 is just integrating blockchain into already existing social media and internet. Okay, help me out. My audience, they love residual income, but I 
pretty much can guarantee you there's a fairly high percentage of people who don't understand blockchain. I just, honestly, I just really started getting blockchain just recently. So could you explain blockchain for just a person that has no idea what that means? Sure. A first piece in a blockchain is the Genesis block. That would be the first block and it comes with a hash. And a hash is the way you identify a block, right? It's kind of like its social security number. And so each time a transaction or any information is added to that block, it creates a new block. And then eventually when you had so many different transactions and informations, you get a block chain, a chain of blocks all connected to each other. And each one gets their own respective hash. So you can identify its transaction or whatever it was, whatever the change was to the original block or the preceding block, the block that came before it. Okay, let me let me just stop you. So a block is like it's it's like a it's a digital. It's not really a block, right? But we're just calling it that to make to make it look visual, right? Right. No, there's no physical block. It, it's just a block of information. It's an, it's more of an idea, a bunch of ones and zeros. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it's ones and zeros. The hash is what identifies it, like you said, like a social security number mm-hmm. or an employment identification. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. And then when it, new information is added to that, it adds a new block and creates another hash. Is, right. that, is that right? Correct. Okay, go ahead. And it's really important to understand that if you try and change a block, you have to change each one that came before it. And so that's why it's so uncorruptible and so easy to tell if it ever was corrupted. Um, and that's what makes it so secure and allows you to trace what's ever happened with that. And then that kind of brings us into cryptocurrency. Okay. And cryptocurrency within itself, each one of them is kind of like an NFT, a non-fungible token. And okay, we'll get into that in just a second, but go back to cryptocurrency. Right, so each each coin can't be you know corrupted or reproduced and you can tell what's ever happened to it. Any transaction that's ever happened to it um, well, pretty much with crypto, that's it. It's just transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all traceable and public information um, if you're able to get a hold of a public address on a wallet. Okay, so if you went online and you downloaded one of the many different um, crypto exchanges onto your phone. Sure. And let's say, you know, I know Coinbase, Coinbase is very popular. Gemini is very popular. Even PayPal has their way of buying and selling crypto nowadays. You went on one of these, you downloaded it to your phone, you used real dollars here in the United States, and you purchased cryptocurrency. There's all different types of currencies, right? There's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, there's Dogecoin, there's Shiba, mm. there's all these different coins. Sure. How, what what does that have to do with the blockchain that you just described? Is that just how the assets are held in those different uh, currencies? So each coin is on a blockchain, and, and um, Ethereum... It has its, it, the Ethereum blockchain is what each Ether is on, right? And so it, it like calculates. You have to. It's very energy inefficient these coins because mm. you have to check each thing in the blockchain, each each block, to make sure that the transaction went through correctly. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have people. They call them Bitcoin miners or just miners. M I N E R S, like miner, mm-hmm. like gold mining. Mm-hmm. What their job is is that they'll go and send it to their computers, and they use their computing power, their electricity. To figure out what uh, you know what went wrong in a blockchain, or if the transaction is correct, and they just process. They're a big processing unit, and so they get paid a little bit of each transaction, and that's called gas. Mm. Those are gas fees. So you're paying a little bit each. A little bit of each transaction you make has to go to these 
these miners so that they can use their computing power to understand whether something went wrong or just approve the transaction in general. That's how they get paid, these miners. So so I, I relate that to, I have a Merrill Lynch stock brokerage account. I've had one for years. If I want to go on there tomorrow and buy 10 shares of Walmart, 10 shares of Amazon, 10 shares of Coca-Cola, whatever, right? Whatever, whatever I'm buying, sure. there's a price on what that stock is on that particular day at that particular time when I buy it, I buy it at market price. However, if I'm dealing with a broker... They're going to make a percentage of that purchase, of course. whether it's one or two percent, and they're and that is that considered the same type of thing as the gas? Only you're not getting advice. Sure, but I don't want people to think of it as brokers. They're not. They're not brokers. They're okay. they're okay. processors. They just process. They are middlemen, though, and that's what I think you were getting at. They are middlemen, but they're necessary middlemen. There's no getting rid of them. Okay. And maybe one day when Ethereum two comes out which is just um, you know energy efficiency problems that are going to be fixed with the original Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. You know They're probably going to have more energy efficiency and they're not going to need the miners as much or the miners are going to need less computing power to do their jobs. Mm. Um, eventually in the future, maybe we won't even need miners. They'll just, you know, it'll be so low of processing needed that they can do it on their own. Fascinating. It really is. It's fascinating. So um, take us take us through when you, you came to me not even a year ago um, explaining NFTs and explaining the blockchain and, and the influencers that you were following and where you thought it was going to go. And one of the things that was perplexing to me is I know an NFT is a, is, is a non-fungible token, which you can explain maybe in a little bit of detail. And I know that it's a digital picture typically. And sometimes they look very cartoony to me. And sometimes, you know, I, I don't necessarily see the value in them. But you talked about if you were to purchase one, let's get past what it looks like. And if you were to purchase one and it had value, you couldn't purchase it with dollars. You literally had to purchase it with cryptocurrencies. In this particular case, it had to be purchased with Ethereum. Mm. So you were really making two transactions at the same time. You were turning dollars into Ethereum, and then you were using Ethereum to purchase the NFT. Is it, Do I have that right? You do. So that barrier of entry of owning Ethereum is is essentially what gave so much exclusivity to these NFT projects, and it gave so much confusion essentially and you know people tend to shy away from what they don't understand and they're not going to invest in something they don't understand understandably right right so that's why i spent so much time because you know risk excites me in my young age i guess i just love the <laughs> idea of it i love the idea of big rewards and whatnot and just and also i love the new blockchain technology when i first heard it i was obsessed with it so um it was very enticing to me so i actually what really got me into it was this influencer gary vaynerchuk and he goes by Gary V. When he was young, he started Empathy Wines with his father, where he basically just took his entire wine business and put it online. Love when, this story. It's yeah. a great story. Yeah. When Web 1 and uh, Web 2 were becoming a thing, and everyone was telling him, you're going to put your father out of business. You, you are an idiot. You are really going to ruin every the entire empire he's created. And he just ignored them. Eventually, it just took off. Empathy Wines took off. And um, everyone was buying their wine online. And he was super successful. And you know what he did? He, As smart as a guy as he is, he took that, that money. And he was an early investor in Twitter. He was an early investor in Facebook. He was an early investor in Coinbase. Mm-hmm. And that is what mm-hmm. gave him you know, his millions, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially. And then he was like, okay, what do I really want to do now? Do I want to pour more money into Empathy Wines? Or do I want to start 
VaynerMedia. Okay. VaynerMedia. Okay. And that's what everyone knows him for now. Okay. VaynerMedia is his social media company and it kind of like spreads over all different it's on TikTok, it's on Instagram, it's on whatever and this is his entrepreneurship outlet. He loves to teach about entrepreneurship. He spreads really positive content. Um, this is how I found him. And he grew that really quickly and really fast and he's a great guy, great role model. But when he came out with his NFT project in spring of 2021, and before you go into that, he could he start this NFT project if they're on Web two, or did he did he have to do it on Web three? Web three is an idea. Okay. Web, web, and it's just the idea of integrating blockchain into commonly used internet. Okay. So yes, Web three. <laughs> I guess we should explain what NFTs are before we start explaining yes, this NFT project. Definitely. This is this is people are tuning in for this. This okay. is great. He got me into it with all of it because I was following him on social media. He was slowly teaching me and then this is what's like spawned my own research and whatnot. I think most of what I know about NFTs comes from him though. An NFT is a non-fungible token. And to understand what that means, you need to understand the idea of fungibility. And fungibility is the idea of easy transfer. There's a few definitions, but the one that I think is easiest to understand is it's easy transferability. If you had a $5 bill, that's easily transferable to five $1 bills. Fungibility also translates to some cryptocurrencies too. So like Bitcoin is actually fungible because most people agree that it's around 40K to 50K or whatever the price is at the day. They can agree that that's how much a Bitcoin's worth. Ethereum, the same way. NFTs, the way we see them, like the art projects, those are not fungible. Those are non-fungible tokens because we don't agree on the value of them. There's no set value that we all kind of, you know, post up on a Coinbase website. Mm. So know how much they're valued. Like, how do you know? Well, it's all speculative. That's yeah. what, and that's why so many people shy away from these projects. It's speculative value. You know, like we, you're guessing how much someone else would value it and then hope you'll buy it and then hope that they'll buy it for more. And it's all gambling. This isn't investing. That's gambling, mm. right? I agree. It, it, I agree. Just like the stock market, that's not real investing. That's that's gambling. Well, I'd have to disagree with you there because at least with the stock market, I know that if I buy Target stock, I know what Target sells. I know they own CVS. I know what their dividends are going to pay. So I, educated. I, I, well, I can walk into a Target. I can see it. I can feel it. I can spend money there. Whereas in an NFT project which we're going to get into, which is fascinating what you're doing with, with, with the company that you just formulated, which I can't wait to talk about. It's literally fascinating. But how do you, how do you perceive the value? I mean, we're, we're, who, who decides what, is, what it's worth? And how did you make, you know, how did you do so well with your first NFT that just blew everyone's mind? So who decides the value of anything, really? So mm -hmm. let's start with art. This is the best explanation, in my opinion, is art. So I'll give the Mona Lisa example. Why wouldn't you hang up a copy of the Mona Lisa in your living room? It's just a copy. It's I, a copy. I might like the picture, but most people like, I think, the value of it more than the picture of it. Right. right. And so you put it in your, and say, say you did like it. Let's say you like the Mona Lisa. I mean, I, I think that the jury's still out on whether the Mona Lisa is actually a good looking picture. <laughs> it's famous, but um, yes, if you put it, say you did like it. And it's worth $75 million to a billion, $750 million, I think I saw the last time, what it was valued at. Yeah. And that's just one valuation. Think about it. It could be worth $2 billion to somebody. That's speculative value, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so 
so you hang up a copy of the Mona Lisa in your your bedroom. You have company over, and they're like, "Oh my god, did you buy the Mona Lisa?" And you're like, "No, no, 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 that's a copy." And they're like, "Who is this freak? Like, why would this dude put up a copy of the Mona Lisa? What a weirdo, right? Like, it, there's no value to it. You just it, and that's the same idea with like a screenshot of a of an NFT." Um, because those are like verifiable that the, the value comes from the originality. Okay. Right. And with an NFT, you can verify the originality and, uh, of the project, no matter how many times it goes through the blockchain, but mm-hmm. you need absolutely need blockchain for that to be possible. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's why the birth of blockchain, um, which actually came in like the seventies or eighties, but wasn't utilized until around now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is so important to the birth of NFTs. Okay. So I know that you, in order to buy an NFT, the most popular place to go and even look to purchase an NFT is on OpenSea, right? Mm-hmm. OpenSea.com. I, I went through there. I look at the founders. I noticed Mark Cuban is a major investor, and in, I think he is the major investor in that company, but there's a whole bunch of really smart people that started that. So you can go on there. How do you know which NFT to buy? What I mean, you came to right. me right. in May of 2021 and you said, Dad, I want to buy an NFT. And I was like, what's that? Right, <laughs> yeah. Those new sneakers that you want to buy? Right. I had no idea, right? I'm joking. But right. you explained it and you found an NFT that you thought had what you're referring to as real world utilization. And that was something that was, it wasn't so much the picture of the urchin that you bought, which mm. was kind of cool, but... Okay, so let me get into that. Go real, for it. Yeah, so um, I call it real world utility. That's not a real um, phrase. That's just my word for it. And maybe eventually it'll be adopted. Who knows? Your phrase. Let's trademark that right now. We got <laughs> yeah, it, we real got world it, utility. We, we got it real here on this podcast. Okay. okay, so let's start from the basics so that they actually can catch up on everything that I know. So... I went to Gary V started this project and it was a bunch of hand drawn pictures that he made digital mm-hmm. and he made an entire collection of them mm-hmm. and then he gave them tiers of um, rare like rarity so there is the core which there's a lot of and then there is the um, I don't remember the exact order I believe it went core and then it went like uncommon and then rare is what I got and then there was very rare and then there was epic. And each time you go up that tier, there's fewer of them. So mm. he created scarcity in his project, okay. which creates exclusivity, which creates value, right? Yes. You want to have a higher demand than you do have a supply. Okay. Therefore, you can charge a decent price. And what he did correctly is he did a Dutch auction. So you start with a high price, and as time goes on, the prices get lower. And that's how he was able to manipulate the market so that the commoner could get you know, one of his NFTs. Mm. Everyone was so mad. They were like, how dare you scam us at a 15 ether? You bleep, bleep, bleep. How could you, Gary? We trusted you. And he's <laughs> like, the market's the market. I'm mm. doing this for you. I know you can't understand that yet, but I'm doing this for you. And so, and he was right. And so as time went on, uh, we realized that the rich people that were able to buy two or three NFTs at 15 ether uh, did and then as time went on, there was always a few you know rares left or cores left that people like me were able to actually purchase. So we waited for one that was originally like ten ether to hit one point five, and then we scooped it up. And it was this guy called the Unwavering Urchin. It was a rare tier. 
Now, I know you're talking over a lot of people's heads, but I'm following this because I've heard this story oh, okay. before. So it, it's totally fine. I yeah. want you... No, slow we me can't, down. We, if we, can't, we, can't go, we can't go too slow because we want to get to the meat of this just to get people interested in how you can actually build residual income with cryptocurrencies, right. okay. with NFTs. So it's fine. So I just want to, no, I no, want no. to make that clear that we know we're talking over some people's mm-hmm. heads and it's, it's going to come to a point here. Yeah, you will, by the end of this podcast, you will understand what I'm talking about, even though we're all over the place. So, okay, rare tier, unwavering urchin. It was just a picture of an urchin that he drew over like a brownish background, Mm -hmm. right? Orange, Mm -hmm. brownish. And so when I first got it, I got a bid for like 0.8 ether. And I was like, okay, well, I just spent 1.5. Obviously, I'm not going to take that deal. Now, because of Gary. How do you get a bid? How do people are like? Oh, it goes straight to OpenSea. So 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 now it's on like a like a brokerage account. Like I'm trying to compare it to what I know. You know what I grew up with. It's just like on an open market where people can see it if they log into OpenSea. There's a picture of it. They can Mm. bid on it. Okay, Mm. got it. Yeah, and like a gallery, right? And but it's all automatic. And I guess I don't know if I want to get into the wallet right now, but wallets are important into understanding how OpenSea works. So. Sure, we'll get into it. So MetaMask is a crypto wallet. Mm-hmm. And in order to buy Gary's NFT that day that I did, I needed to have MetaMask um, to hold the NFT. Because you can't just like, what am I going to do with it? So this is like your wallet. So it's not the broker, it's, a digital it's wallet. not the gallery. It's a digital wallet on your phone right. or your, your laptop. The best way to think about it is you have Bank of America on your phone, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, it's the same thing. Okay. It's the same thing, except there's no physical bank account. Okay. It's just there on your phone. I get the NFT. It goes straight to my MetaMask wallet. It's sitting in there. I own one VFT. And that that's also where my Ethereum is. So if you have Ethereum that you get off of like Coinbase, if that's where you bought it, you're going to want to move it to your wallet so that you have it you know, sitting in some place you can actually keep it. Let me see if I can, if I can explain this. So when you purchase it using your... Um, your app, whether it's Coinbase or Gemini or PayPal, as I mentioned, or any of the other ones that are available out there, there are many. You can then transfer the money from that brokerage account, if you will, into your own wallet. So it right. comes off the cloud, off the computing, and it goes into a secure wallet that is 100% controlled by you. No one else has access to it. And true. And nowadays, I think what's important to update people is that this is going to be possible from your wallet. Like it's already, it already is actually. Mm-hmm. I can purchase straight from MetaMask my wallet now. Mm. Um, crypto, like the, the whole marketplace. So your wallet is now becoming the place where it's you becoming can... a marketplace. Got it. Almost. Okay. So it's getting better. It's getting easier. It's yeah. getting It's getting streamlined. I mean, by the time people hear this, you might there might just be the marketplace and the wallet might be like the same thing. Okay. You know, marketplace. Okay, I call it brokerage. It's marketplace. Get mm-hmm. it. So you purchased your um, your NFT from this project that Gary V had going. And you used your MetaMask wallet. So what we did was that we went on to Coinbase, which is a marketplace. And that is what a lot of people do actually know what Coinbase is. It's just where you go to look at how the coins are doing, how they're, how they're trending, if you want, how many people are buying, how many people are selling. It's essentially like, where, where's the place you go to look at stocks? You go to Merrill Lynch. You can go to there's there's many different apps that you can track yeah, it's, stocks. Oh, oh, a great way! If anybody has Robinhood, it's that for crypto. Yeah, Acorns, Robinhood, but, that type. Yeah, of, yep. it's, it's that. So you um, that's where we got our Ethereum originally. 
okay. so that we could put in our MetaMask wallet. So once we got that, we used my public address, which is my wallet's address mm-hmm. that you can use to mm-hmm. transfer money. Mm-hmm. We took that money from there. Sorry, we, we purchased it on the marketplace. It went to our little portfolio, which is an idea that's going to be abolished soon because of wallets. And then we moved it from that portfolio that we had into our wallet. Mm-hmm. And then we connected our wallet. So this is the most interesting part is that you have to connect your wallet to websites mm-hmm. to use it. So if you connect it to OpenSea, all of the stuff that you've purchased will instantly be public available for everyone to look at oh i have a great description for people like me that don't understand okay. all this it's like guys it's like taking your visa card and putting it into amazon prime securely no one can see it but now you can go on the app you see something you want you click buy it charges your credit card it's already in there you don't have to do it each time and then they deliver whatever it is you bought to your house same concept there's one element that's a little bit extra and it's really important that you understand this is your wallet is you it's your profile it's like logging in with instagram everything you do with that wallet is traceable trackable and public information mm-hmm. if someone has your public address which is assigned to your wallet it's the social security number of your wallet okay they can put that into ether scan and they can see anything and everything that you've ever done with Ether and how much is in your account. So you want to keep your address private? If you can, if you want to. Yep. A lot of people don't. A lot of people... Yeah, I notice even like on Venmo that I, I log in to pay someone. Then I see all of my contacts, who they just paid today and who, right. who just who paid who. Well, who. at least on Venmo, they hide the amount. Yeah. It, it's, that's, there's no secrets in crypto right now. Wow. I don't know if that'll change in the future. Yeah. But... Right now, it's all public information. I can see how much Post Malone has in his wallet because he has his public address out. I can see how much Justin Bieber has in his wallet because he has his address out. I can see how much you have in your wallet if you have your address out. Okay. Well, my address is private. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't see. So, Justin, we are are cooking with gas. We are 26 minutes into this podcast, and I absolutely am so excited for you to explain to people what happened to you. And your new project, Bubble okay. Inc. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. The big reveal is coming, guys. This is gonna be amazing. You're gonna really enjoy this. Okay. So I bought Gary V's NFT, the Unwavering Urchin, with the brownish black background. Um, it was a rare, and I waited for bids to come in. The first day, I got like 0.8, like I said, and that was nothing compared to the 1.5 we had just spent in Ether. About eight months later, uh, that's a, you, a lot of patience is expected mm-hmm. in this project. And if it wasn't for Gary V, like I put a lot of faith in him because I knew that this project meant everything to him and he kept saying he was in this for the next 15 years like he is the corner market of nfts like this is his passion project and too many people start these projects and then and then walk away after they get the mint Mm. which i will explain mints later a mint i guess i can just explain it real quickly right now Mm -hmm. um a mint is essentially just creating a genesis block or just like like when you mint gold it's it's just create the creation out of an nft Mm -hmm. and then people buy it that's called minting it. And you, do you have to have any special skills to mint an NFT? You do. And I'll get into that later with Bubble. Okay. I bought the Unwavering Urchin. I waited about eight months. A bunch of offers came in. I was invited to the, the VFriends Discord. Owners are invited to the VFriends Discord. And they can talk to each other. I got 
Um, after a month, I got one offer for eight ether, which would have been an incredible markup from the one point five I spent eight already. Times. Yeah, almost you know? eight times. And so, and then I waited another what another seven months, and then I had actually set a price because I, I was getting a little. I, I was a little frustrated because the project had gone up and down in value, but I mean it was always trending upwards, mm. but it kept going up and down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's normal. Always a little. Yeah, exactly. By the time when was this? December came around. I was like, okay, I'm going to put a price on this. Because I was just letting people bid on it. I never put a price. Mm. I put it for 15 Ether. And I was like, I guess this is my selling point. Because if I had 15 Ether, that would make this worthwhile to me. So it was almost like you got to a point where you could set a price. I know I can do this with stocks. I can, on my app with Merrill Lynch, I can tell the it, that when, you know, when Amazon hits... 300 it automatically sells. it automatically sells or whatever the number is obviously it's higher than that with amazon yeah. but it's more like an auction website though it's more like i set it for 15 and then people can look at it and then if they if they want to buy it they can buy it it's not like i'm so waiting for can you stop them from buying it if you know no no, <laughs> no i put i i listed it so it's kind of like i can't you got your price yeah it's gone it's sold i chose 15 that's all i have to do that's mm-hmm. you know that's that's all they need from me so you sold it Yes, it's sold. And so, and I'm a little bummed because I, I love that. I love the community that he created. And I, I um, you know, that token got me into his conferences for the next three years. But the exponential gains and capital I made on that just had to be worth it. So ridiculous. Right. Ridiculous. So this, this is, this is where people are going to really start to freak out because. So it sold for 15 Ether. And I had originally bought it for 1.5 Ether. Mm. That's. Tens of thousands. It's, it's 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 ridiculous. It, the the return in that short period of time was ridiculous, and I and I know that people are saying, okay, well, you you said that it's like gambling, and it is kind of like gambling because you're waiting and and wondering and seeing if other people are going to see the value. I like but, to say it's educated guessing, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, and a lot of times stock picks are too. My point is, how do you turn that, which is basically buy low, sell high, make a profit, move on. How do you turn that action into a residual income? And this is really interesting. We popped a bottle of champagne this weekend because Justin launched his first company called Bubble Inc. I'll let you explain it. What is Bubble? What does it stand for? And how are you going to create these NFT projects to create residual income for people? Okay, so a project is basically just a collection, an album of a bunch of pictures that look very similar. That's how they've been presented before and usually they're art projects and a lot of times celebrities do them because their celebrity within itself is enough to sell the mint. Now where people get in trouble is that they walk away with all that glorious millions that they made from the mint and then don't worry about the project and then they let them sell it amongst themselves. Now the royalties, which is what you've been asking me this entire time, <laughs> the royalties come in when you sit, when they're traded amongst each other because there's a Typically, what Gary did, he did it took a 10% royalty on that 15 Ether. So let's just be clear, that 15 Ether didn't all just pop into my wallet at once. There was gas prices that needed to be paid, which I explained earlier, Mm -hmm. the processing. Mm -hmm. There was um, 10% of that went to Gary, and then another 2 to 3% went to OpenSea. So I still ended up with around Mm 13.8 Ether-ish or so. Which is still an exponential gain from the 1.5. Mm-hmm. But you, Gary V, I came out with like $94 million from the residuals alone. And that's because of just people trade, the trade volume within itself. So 
right. much money. And it's passive income. It's constant, and it's just instantaneously so that, that, dropped into his wallet. That NFT that is still owned by someone on that on that um, platform, that NFT is still going. It could get sold again for more. So say someone comes along and wants to buy it for a higher price or a lower price. Yeah. Gary wins either way. He wins either way. He wins either way. Stone. He gets 10% of whatever it's sold for. I'm starting to see the light. So why would someone want NFTs in their portfolio as they're building their residual income? What is it that can um, you know turn into something that can help them build that financial wall around their family? How do they diversify with NFTs? So... If you own a lot of NFTs, um, hopefully you do your research and you make sure that there's real world utility. And I think this is a perfect time to get into that. So real world utility is my my own kind of like phrase for talking about how a lot of these projects are just art and speculative, right? Like all art is. But the real world utility to some of these tokens like Gary V's that enticed me so much mm-hmm. was... That we could go to V conference for three years. That we were allowed into a Discord. Um, mm. um, he gave like real to some of the ones that I didn't get. There was like a podcast Panther where he could come on your podcast for fifteen minutes or something. Or yeah, I, I remember really, that. Yeah, that yeah, was I a cool that. one. And yeah. then there was like Gift Goat where it's like if you own it, you get like really cool things in the mail. And as soon as you sell it, the new person starts getting things cool things in the mail. It's like so. The real world utility is really important because the token always has value if there's no speculative value anymore. So people can make it have value other than just owning the digital asset, the digital artwork. You can actually have other value, exclusivity, community mm. that all goes around the NFT. Mm-hmm. And how does it, how does it become? I, I can understand that over a period of time it could appreciate in value. It could become more more valuable. But do you have to sell it? In order for you to create income, no. is it okay? It, it really depends. You could get more, and I you get more from an NFT. Considering, like, if I went to V conference, I might get more mm. out of that opportunity mm-hmm. than it matters on how much I spend. You kind of know what I mean, like? Yeah, I do. And you you explained it because I know you bought another NFT recently, and it was um, one of the ones that Justin Bieber had done, right? Mm, I still own that. I still own that right now. So how how does that have value in the real world? So he added real world utility in the in the concept that I get um, access to exclusive merchandise. Um, maybe like I think one of the things might have been like early access to his tickets on tour in exclusive merchandise, not just like early access, but like exclusive merchandise to like in betweeners. So that, that there's real world utility there. If anybody owns that, they now have you know this this access type of feature. And so it's not like I'm just buying art and hoping it goes up in value. I'm buying something that will always have value to me. I love it. Right. I love it. So I can see where this can definitely um, intrigue people. And I see people like uh, you know I was talking to my sister who uh, you know does very well for herself. They have a you know her and her husband have a great uh, stock portfolio, and she is now looking into different ways to diversify her portfolio. So she's very interested in NFTs, and I can only imagine that a lot of people are. Another thing that's come up, and I know you didn't know I was going to ask you this, but I think you can you can speak to this at least a little bit. People are asking me, what is the metaverse? Is this thing real? People are putting these goggles on their face and they're entering into this 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 digital community and now all of a sudden we're hearing about companies and governments and towns that are buying real estate in oh the metaverse. God. Well, uh, you know what everyone thinks of first when they hear that? What? Dot com era. 
Yeah. That's what everyone hears. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how much faith I have in the metaverse. Um, a lot of people staking their entire businesses on it. I know that, you know, because Facebook Because they could become is... the most powerful companies in the world mm. if the metaverse takes off. They're taking a big risk doing what they're doing. Um, Usually. And they're, they're putting their reputation a little bit on the line for showing that they, you know... Because if the metaverse fails, it shows that they don't always know what the best opportunity what is. What is it? What is the metaverse? The right? metaverse... What I understand is it's like a virtual world and people go into it. You have your own avatar and the way you can own things in the metaverse is via smart contracts, NFTs, blockchain. Uh, That's how you own digital assets in the metaverse. That's why they're all tied together. uh, So you want to own land in the metaverse? Cool. Write a smart contract. Mm-hmm. A smart, by the way, guys, a smart contract is just a programming language. It's not like a literal contract that explains like or writes the rules for how an object in the metaverse or how an NFT acts. So mm-hmm. when Gary Vee wrote his smart contract for my unwavering urchin in that smart contract, it says when you are sold, perform this task. And the task was give 10% of whatever's happening here to this wallet, Gary's. Give 2% or to 3% of whatever's happening here to this wallet, OpenSea, and give the rest percent to this wallet, my wallet, right? Wow. It's a pro- it's programming. You, you've written Got into it. the contract Got what it. to do each time it's transferred. Wow. And so that's what people do with these objects. You know, when this is transferred to this person, yeah, make sure that it like has this information with it. And um, like I said, I'm no expert. Nobody really is about the metaverse. Maybe Mark Zuckerberg of anybody would, might be. <laughs> right. But... um. Changed the name of his company to Meta, right? Right, so, yeah. I mean, he, he's leading the charge. And so maybe he knows what's going on. But like, I don't think we're at the point that anybody can be an expert in this I yet. agree. I mean, but it's it's so speculative that people are people want to invest in this stuff. You know, you want to obviously be very, very careful. We're not here giving advice. We're not here trying to tell you what you should do. Um, you know, make your own decisions. This is just us talking. It's our opinion. It's just giving you guys an idea of what is out there right now. The metaverse is freaking a lot of people out because, I mean, Paris Hilton, this is what Chelsea was telling us just last night. Paris Hilton had a party in the metaverse that you could go to and you could you could talk to her. She could comment in, in, on, on what you were wearing, you know, your, what your avatar was wearing right. in the metaverse. It's it's actually very cool. I it's, mean, it's so cool, it, except for me personally, I would rather, if I'm doing a business meeting, I want to see their real faces. Mm, I want I don't want to mm, see an avatar. Right. How am I supposed to look them in the eye? And so, that, you know. So you're a skeptic. You're a skeptic. I am skeptic. I, I don't know. I mean, well, let I'm me not as much a skeptic as I don't understand it. If you could go into the metaverse right now, put on the goggles, and let's say the new iPhone came out, and you could put on, put on your, you know, your avatar, you could go, you could press a couple of buttons, you could walk to the Apple store, you could walk in, you could see it, you could pick it up, you could play with it, you could order it because your wallet is attached to the metaverse and you could purchase it and then you could take those goggles off and the next day UPS is going to show up at your door with that iPhone that you just bought. Is that possible? Is that what we're talking about here? Maybe. Maybe it's what we're talking about. I mean, no one really knows yet. No one knows. People, someone got married in the metaverse and put their uh, their their marital contract is an NFT. So I they, love it. Yeah, no, they could sell that. They could sell. imagine if Kylie Jenner and Travis, it's mm-hmm. Kylie, right? Yeah. Travis Scott, they got married and their contract was an NFT. Imagine how much that would sell for. Wow. 
I mean, but they just sold. Essentially, they just sold the rights. Hey, to I'm a big Patriot fan, and I love Tom Brady. And you know the whole thing, how it went down with his retirement and stuff. I'm not going to talk about that. But one thing I will tell you is he went on record to say he is so happy that not only is he launching his clothing brand, but he gets to work on his NFT, NFT project. project. No, I'm yeah. a part of that. Yeah, I'm a part of that. I tried so many times to get into his NFT project, except there's a barrier to entry there, and it's. Doesn't matter how early you show up to his thing, he he randomizes his queue. So if you click on the dot like, "Hey, I want this," mm. it'll randomize you in a queue, and you could be, even though you were the first to click, you could be the nine millionth person in a line of twenty million. Wow! To try and be getting this NFT that he's dropping. That those were fake numbers, by the way. Yeah. Not nearly that many people were trying to get it, but, but a lot. Um, but, but a, a lot. lot. There's a lot of people in line. So, guys, I hope from this podcast episode that you're getting that. There's lots of ways to create residual income. Some of them are going to be more risky. Some of them are going to be more avant-garde than others. But I will tell you that this is exciting, Justin. I am so happy that we have had you on the podcast. We're going to have to have you back. Hold Guys, on, real quick. Yes. Real quick. Um, this whole podcast is about residual income. Mm-hmm. So let's just be very clear. Buying an NFT at this point in time does not produce you residual income. Mm-hmm. Creating an NFT project produces it residual income good so do not invest in nfts expecting to get passive income that's not how they work okay not yet anyway yeah okay so that makes a lot of sense so minting your own nfts and starting your own nft project which i know you're very much excited about yes that will create your residual income because you will be obtaining those royalties well I know people that are doing it already. I know people that are minting their own NFTs, and it's something that is worthy. Uh, you know, if you have the time to learn something new, that would be something. Maybe we'll do a course on it, a master class at some point, Justin, once you get uh, your, mm-hmm. your 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 whole entire portfolio together. But, wow, exciting information, guys. Sorry uh, for you guys that we went over your head in some areas, but I will tell you, listen to the podcast over and over again. I'll put in really good uh, show notes so that you can uh, you know look back and see some of the things we said and some of the terms we used and some of the websites that we suggested and some of the apps that we talked about mm-hmm. so it'll all be there but anything uh, anything that you want to end the podcast with Justin yeah sure um, I know a lot of you are probably going to go look at OpenSea OpenSea.com that's where all the NFT is it's an open marketplace just be careful do your own research that's what I did and look for real world utility these are the projects that are succeeding Mm. right do not go for the celebrity that you think you like just for the sake of going for the celebrity you think you like make sure you find out they have websites for each project that they create go check out their websites for the project make sure that they come with real world utility because then you're just basing it on speculative value what you think other people would be willing to pay for it over time you are guessing if you're not doing real world utility but if you have that rwu that real world utility take a shot every time i say real world utility (laughs) (laughs) if they do have that it is far you will you can't lose value Mm -hmm. on it it will always have um Oh my god, if I say real world utility. <laughs> so I hope I drove that point home. Yeah, I, I hope I drove that point home. It, it's so important. So you're not just buying the digital art because you like the way it looks. You're right. It that's what I'm saying, always yeah, that's what yeah. I'm personally looking for. I mean, I do sometimes buy it just because it looks cool. If it's cheap, if it's very cheap. Mm. And I only do that because I made like a huge gain on that first one that I did just yeah. for just for So you're fun. reinvesting some of your assets now. Oh yeah. Is, like the Justin awesome. Bieber one is my next real investment because yeah. he actually has that RWU that I was looking for. Nice. And so people will always be looking for those types of things for exclusive merch, for blah blah blah. Yeah. They're in 
you know, I think because Justin Bieber's a big name that it the speculative value will go up just mm-hmm. because it will go up. I mean, yeah. he made his profile picture one of his own NFTs. I think that's so, becoming more and more common. Yeah. It is, but it's his own NFT. So he's promoting his own project. So you know he's invested in it. Mm-hmm. And if it fails, that's going to fall back on him. So he's invested in making sure it works. That's why I felt comfortable doing that. And I felt the same way about Gary. I, I felt comfortable because I knew that they were not going to leave this project behind. Um, which some people have done. And I haven't personally lost on an NFT yet, but I've seen people lose on NFTs where they invest into something that doesn't have the RWU, that is just like a celebrity trying to sell a picture of themselves, essentially. And they walk away from the project with the mint money and everyone gets stuck holding the bag and everyone loses except the person that minted it. So mm, if you're starting that. a project, make sure that. you offer, make sure you're going to stick with it for the next 10 to 15 years at least. Make sure that, that it's a passion project, right? You're not leaving these people high and dry. And if you're buying one, make sure that the person selling them is there to stay. Mm, that's good. what I'll leave I, 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 I think that's real world advice. I mean, that's, that's really, really fascinating, Justin. Um, I know we're going to get a lot of questions and a lot of comments. Go to our social media. Make sure you're, um, you know, you're plugging in. You're asking questions. I'm sure we'll have Justin back on the podcast talking about this again and answering some questions. And guys, don't forget that you can still sign up for the Financial Freedom Masterclass, which is coming up on March 1st. Go to thefamilybusiness.info. And you hit on Masterclass and you can sign up and you can still get in on that class. It is for free. It is me. You're going to get me and I'm going to going to go detailed. We're going to go down and we're going to get real, real um, in depth on what the, the steps are that you have to take in order to create your own financial freedom and build that financial wall around your family. Justin, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. You bet. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can join our growing family and begin implementing the success principles to building a financial wall around your family, you can go to thefamilybusiness.info forward slash call and you can schedule a call with us because we have saved a spot at the table for you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and the people that you care about. And we would love it if you would take a second to give us a five-star review to help future family members just like you find us. I leave you with this. In life, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you believe, plan, and expect. Let's do this.